0: If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Haller. Praise God. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 4. Um, I want to let you know about a few things that are going to be coming up the next few months. On April the 17th, which is a Wednesday night, David Hall is going to be back with us from Australia. So we're really excited about having him here again. He Texted me a couple weeks ago and said, I'm going to be in Texas, coming through Texas, and would you want me to come back? And I said, eh, we'll pray about it. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I said, yes, I'd be glad to have you. He's also going to come with me and teach my class at CFNI the next morning, uh, Healing and Miracles class, so uh, real excited about that. I also want to just let you know, if, if you haven't heard or if you do know and you're considering this, that this coming month, the month of April, is a new uh, course in our Bible college that we just started here, um, One Cause Bible Institute, and you can receive a degree in theology, bachelor's, master's, and doctorate, as well as if you're interested in doing any kind of counseling, you can get a counseling degree as well. And um, We are connected with uh, Life Christian University out of Florida, and they, uh, you can go check out Life Christian University online and find out where they get their accreditation, but uh, it's a wonderful course, and we we're just finishing up our, our first course, Principles of Faith. And uh, I'm very excited to be teaching in that, in that, in our Bible school. And we're also raising up other teachers as well in it. And so we're planning on just really building this uh, college right here to offer to anyone who would like to further their, their studies in the Bible. And, and, um, and like I said, the, the counseling degree is also available. So, um, and then in June, we have our prophetic conference. Uh, June starts the 23rd. And we're going to have a very dear friend of ours, we've known for many years. His name is Ed Trout, and he happens to be from that little place called South Africa, where Warren, our man, is from. And uh, his ministry is based in San Antonio, Texas. And he's going to be. We've given him two nights at the prophetic conference this year. You're absolutely going to love Ed Trout. It's just going to be a great blessing. So mark your calendars for that. And our India team. Anybody here? going to India? All right, one, two. All right, we have a team of nine that are going, and uh, we're leaving May 16th, and we'll be gone through the 25th. So please be in prayer for all of our team that's going uh, as they're raising money for support. And if you'd like to support um, any of our team that are going to India, you can just mark that on your uh, envelope, or you can even do q Give, and we'll make sure that that everybody gets um, what comes in for them. Anyway, that's coming up very soon, just about eight weeks away. So we're very excited about that. And uh, I guess Tawana and all of her wonderful helpers have uh, completed. No, not completed. How far are you away from it? Almost 400, completely done. Almost 400 of these puppets, these dolls, completely done. Now, if you have not seen these, you know what, can you, Picture you have, yeah, have pictures Sunday? All right, got to have our people see these things. How many of you have helped with putting these things together with Tawana. All right. There's lots of things. Can you use some more help? In assembling these things? Yeah. Please, if you can help with that, because we're putting together a thousand of these things for the kids, because we're going to do a big kids crusade this year in India. It's a, we're, It's the first time that we're doing that along with a pastor's conference. The last couple of years that we've, Daniel Plowman and I have gone, he's actually not going to be going with us this year. But we we train these pastors, and there's kids everywhere. So I asked the pastor, I said, why don't we do something for the kids too? And he got real excited about that. And I came back and reported that, and Tawana saw it in her head. She saw a vision of a puppet. And so she began to construct this thing, and now we're making a 1,000, we, she and whoever else, are making a thousand of these things to give to these children. It's just wonderful. And uh, they're expecting a lot of kids. We're expecting about 400 pastors. So I don't know how many kids that'll entail, but um, there'll be a lot. There'll be a lot. We're very excited to be able to bring the gospel to them and see many lives touched. And thank you for your enthusiasm, Katie, on that. I'm very excited about it. So uh, if you found Acts chapter four, if you haven't, just look on the screen, because I'm sure that they'll have it up there for you. Uh, we're continuing in our series in the book of Acts. I love, 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 love this book. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think I might have told you over the last year, I spent lots of my personal Bible study, Bible reading time, study time in this book. I mean, it was just so... Saturated me. I mean, I, I really was just caught up in it for so long. So I'm excited over the next few weeks and however long it takes to, to just unleash what the Lord has shown me uh, in this book. So we're in chapter four, and I think this is actually part seven. And you know, we have sometimes where we have other speakers in on Wednesday nights, but we're gonna stay with this as, as we go out throughout the year. Amen. Now, as they spoke to the people, verse one of chapter four of Acts, as they spoke to the people, the priests "'The captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, "'being greatly disturbed that they taught the people "'and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. "'And they laid hands on them, "'but not not for recovery from sickness, "'and not to send them out with blessing. "'They laid hands on them and put them in custody "'until the next day, for it was already evening. "'However, many of those who heard the word believed.' And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Man, oh man, oh man. So, two things were happening at the preaching of the gospel. They were disturbing some people, and they were catching other people on fire by faith. But what's amazing to me is the people that were disturbed by them preaching Jesus through Him, the resurrection of the dead, were the people who were running the church. The priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. You don't want to be a Sadducee because a Sadducee is just sad, you see. And the Sadducees were definitely upset about this preaching of the resurrection because they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They did not believe in the afterlife. They believed that when the, when the body dies, the soul dies, it's over. So they were definitely against what was going on here. But it saddens me that these were the ones, the, the ones who were to teach the people the ways of the Lord. The people who were running the temple were the ones who were disturbed at the preaching of Jesus. That's messed up. The word disturbed means to be troubled, displeased, offended, pained, to be worked up. But then there were others who heard and believed. And the scripture says there was about 5,000 men at that point who heard the gospel and believed. So just so everyone here tonight is, knows that sharing the gospel of Christ is both risky and rewarding. Either way, it stirs up the hearts of men. Now whatever it stirs up, it could be good or it could be disturbing. But either way, the gospel is the thing that gets right to the heart of men. And how they respond to it is. God, the scripture teaches about Pharaoh. That Pharaoh, in a couple of different places. Actually, if you read through the book of Exodus, you'll see where God told. Let me just read a couple of scriptures to you. You don't have to go there, um, Michael. I'm just going to read them. Exodus 7, verse 3, and God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Exodus 10, now these are just a couple of different scripture. This this kind of thing is said a lot before Israel actually got their deliverance from Egypt. Um, uh, Now the Lord said to Moses, this is Exodus 10, go into Pharaoh for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants that I may show these signs of mine before him. But then there's also other places where it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. In Exodus chapter 9, it says, And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. First Samuel chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians, and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he did mighty things among them, when they did not let the people go that they might depart? So which one is right? Did God harden Pharaoh's heart, or did Pharaoh harden Pharaoh's heart? And the answer is, both things are true. Both things happen. If you were to put wax and clay in the sun, one is going to respond different than the other. When wax sets in the sun, the hot sun, wax does what? softens, it melts, but when clay is in the sun, it hardens. This all had to do with the condition of Pharaoh's heart so that when God would reveal himself to him, his heart would harden. It was just the reaction because of the condition of his heart. But a heart that is set on God, a heart that is open to receive is a heart that softens when God is revealed. That's when the the gospel comes, Christ died for your sins. Christ died for your sins. You don't have to die for him. Christ died. The penalty has been paid. The price has been paid. There's peace with God. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He's victorious over death, hell and the grave. And he offers you life forever. My heart says, yeah, I'll take that. This is what was happening here. That the condition of the heart will determine the response to the gospel. Verse 5. Are you with me? And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. I love this. And Peter, just about just when he gets ready to preach Luke makes sure that all of us know that this is not the same Peter that we see before Jesus died on that cross. This is, this is not the same Peter that was out there with Jesus walking around and learning about Jesus and watching him perform those miracles. This is not the same guy. Now this is Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter a lot of times was out there running reckless. He, I mean, he had so much zeal, so much passion, but so much ignorance about the things of God right? I mean, in one place it says that they saw Jesus on the shore. They're out there fishing. Peter puts on his clothes and jumps in the water to him. He already have them why would you put on your clothes to jump in the water? Peter's just reactionary, right? I mean, at one, he said, "I'll die with you, Jesus." And the very same night he's denied him three times. Right? But God is but and then, and then at one time he 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 says to Jesus, "says, but who do you say that I am?" Peter said, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." Jesus said, "Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven." And from this day forward, I call you Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I mean, it's one of the greatest moments, and here is to helped us find out what what Jesus was really all about—that he is about building his church. And seven verses later, Jesus turns around and says to Peter, "Get thee behind me, Satan!" I mean, we just see this kind of life. Up and down, up and down, up and down. But now, since he's been baptized with the Holy Spirit over in Acts chapter 2 and he begins to speak in this funny little language, now when he stands up to speak, he stands up to speak, filled with the Holy Ghost, and that's good news for everybody that's out there that's on the listening end of Peter. (laughs) Because now, this is so glorious, because Jesus told them what the Holy Spirit would come and do. He said, when he comes... He will testify of me, and he will bring to your remembrance all the things that I taught you. As a matter of fact, he will guide you into all truth. So when Peter stood up filled with the Holy Ghost, guess what he's going to do? He's going to tell the truth. Look what he says. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means He has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, since you asked, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone sets the stage for how the building is going to be constructed. Everything, all the lines and measurements are run from that initial stone. It's going to determine the kind of structure that's built and how well it's built. how, how, How even the lines are. What Peter just told these religious leaders was your whole religion is wrong. Everything that you have built up to this point has a faulty foundation because you rejected Jesus, the cornerstone. So everything that you're building on is false. Everything that you're building is a house of cards and it's going to come crashing down. Your structure has no cornerstone. That's a house that is in trouble. That's a house that has no integrity. That's a house that has no strength. That's a house that has no longevity. If your foundation is faulty, your whole building is faulty. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Think about this. I just said it. Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried, Christ rose again from the dead three days later. This is the cornerstone of the church. This is why the name of our church is One Cause Church. It's about that truth. Everything that we do, every ministry that flows out of this church comes off of that truth, that cornerstone that Jesus is our foundation. His whole message is why we do what we do, it is our cause. And our whole structure, what we're building, is based on him. It's measured by him. It flows out of who he is. Verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, now when they saw When they saw, who saw this? These church leaders, these religious leaders, these priests, Caiaphas, Alexander, Annas the high priest, they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Don't forget, these guys were the same guys that were around when Jesus was crucified, and that's why Peter said, you're the ones that crucified him. They were there. And now they see that they didn't really get rid of the problem when they crucified him. Now they see evidence (laughs) that he has multiplied. Now before them are two of him. Oh my gosh, we have got a problem Because the one guy stirred up enough trouble. But now there's two of them standing here that have been influenced by him. Because their fisherman job, their fishing uh, trade did not teach them to talk like this. Fishermen usually don't have much good things to say. My grandfather was a fisherman, my mom's dad. Bishopmen have a long time to sit and think and make up ways to cuss. That was my dad. <laughs> and they realized they'd been what happened to these disciples? Peter's being confronted about his acquaintance with Jesus and he's not running off when they call him on it. Nor is he denying that he knows him. On the night that Jesus was arrested, there's a little servant girl. The, uh, The book of John tells us that she was the servant, actually, of the high priest. She asked Peter if he had been with Jesus. Are you one of his disciples? And it totally shook him up and rattled him, and he denied that he knew him. And then two more people after that asked, and he denied that he knew him. But now, in front of the high priest himself, not the servant of the high priest, in front of the high priest himself, he boldly proclaims that name. There is no other name under heaven Uh, that that is given to men by which men can be saved but the name of Jesus. What's happened to this guy? How did he go from running scared to standing strong? Somebody say the Holy Ghost. The The Holy Ghost made all the difference. Verse 14, And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. This is the man that sat at the gate beautiful for year year after year after year after year. Somebody had to carry him there. And when Peter walked by him that day, he being full of the Holy Spirit, him and John, they're going to pray. And he says, look at us. And the man looks at them expecting to receive something. Oh, man, he was thinking that they were going to give him one more temporary handout. But what they gave him was his life back. They gave him healing. He said, I don't have the temporary thing. I've got the thing that you need. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Amen. And so here he stands before all of these, these religious rulers and leaders and they can't say anything about it because they've passed him by themselves. They've seen, they saw him lame in his feet. They saw that, he was, that he, was un, he, was, he was not able to help himself and others had to help him. They saw them come and lay him down at that, that, that gate beautiful. And now here he stands before them walking and leaping and praising God. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. How about that? Verse 16, they admit that a notable miracle has been performed and everybody knows about it and they themselves cannot deny that this has happened. So then, shouldn't verse 17 say something like this? You know what, brothers? We were wrong. We need to repent. Huh? We've been fighting God. We've been fighting. The miracle is before us. We've been fighting God. Call Peter back into Peter. Sorry. Man, we accuse- we, were- we were in the wrong. What must we do to be saved? I mean, it's this miracle staring us in the face. Can't deny it. Help us. But No. Religion is so blind, it so blinds the hearts and minds of men, this is how they respond after they say, we can't deny this is a real miracle. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Are you crazy? You want to stop people who have been bound in sickness and lame for years, you want to stop them from being healed? You're not for the miraculous? But instead of throwing off that yoke of bondage, they stiffen their necks even more. Look at verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen And heard. We cannot but speak the things which we've seen, and I'm sure they're pointing at the man who's whole, which we've seen and heard. We can't help but talk about those things because we're not walking in denial. Again, here's another chance for these religious rulers to say, you know, he's right. Not only has Have we seen this miracle? But now Peter's given us some pretty good reasoning here. Are are we supposed to tell them to listen to us? Are we supposed to tell them to listen to God? Guys, come on. Who who do we think we are to withstand God? But again, verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. They had nothing to charge them again. What do you got? Are you going to charge them with a man being whole and healed? Because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. 40 years, lame from his mother's womb, 40 years. This guy's got a whole new life all of a sudden. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. I love this church. They're not backing down. They're getting bolder. Look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. In other words, let their threats Fuel the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let miracles flow now better than they have before, greater and greater measure than we've seen yet. Let healing abound. Let your preachers preach unafraid and unashamed. Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 6 for a moment. 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's after 1 Samuel. Before 3 Samuel. (laughs) Now as the ark of the Lord. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window. And saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord. And set it in the place. In the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished. Offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the men and the, uh, the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious! was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father. Ouch. It was before the Lord that I was doing this who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And all the musicians said, and I will be even, I love this, and I will be even more undignified. You ain't seen nothing yet. I will be more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you've spoken, by them I will be held in honor. And since I can't get honor from my wife, they'll honor me. I will become more undignified. You don't like the way I worship? Okay, then I'm really gonna worship. You don't like the way I dance? Then I'm really gonna dance. We don't come here to this place to just play church and have a few nice little songs in church and just nice Jesus. Right? This is not what we're here for. We are forever indebted to Jesus, the captain of our salvation, the one who died and rose again. And when it comes to him and the kind of honor and glory that's due his name, I want you to always throw off any restraint that would try to latch a hold of you. Be so enamored with Jesus that you just don't care about public opinion. All of what man's descriptions of what it means to be dignified in church. Huh? I mean, if you're going to shout, shout for the king. If you're going to dance, dance for Jesus. If you're going to sing, sing to Jesus. Shake off that religious, mundane, ordinary, mediocre, blah blah blah. Well, it's Wednesday. Should we go to church? Kind of existence that that lets and lets experience God in a greater way, huh? The church flourishes under pressure. Hmm. And one of the saddest things to me is that the pressure a lot of times comes from our own brothers and sisters, uh-huh. Amen. from the people who ought to be excited about people who are excited. Yeah. Amen. I'm going to say that again. You ought to be excited about people who are excited, yeah. right? Amen. Jesus, his own men, his own guys, the guys who were with him, they're all in this house eating. You remember how they ate back then, right? Until the Passion of the Christ, when Jesus invented the, y'all saw he invented that chair? To actually sit upright at the table. But they sat. They, they, they sat and ate. They reclined. We should do this. This is great. That's how they ate. Right? They're just chilling, eating. He's been invited over to this Pharisee's house to have dinner. A guy named Simon. And as they're, in, as they're all in this house, boom, the door opens up. And this woman walks through the door. This is no ordinary woman. This is a woman with a reputation. A reputation that all these guys seem to know what her reputation is. And we don't really know how they know. (laughs) It's probably the the earrings and the makeup she has on. (laughs) She walks in and she kneels down at Jesus' feet, all right? She kneels down at Jesus' feet, and she begins to kiss his feet. How awkward is this, right? She begins to weep and to kiss his feet and and take her hair. She broke this alabaster box over his feet, and then she takes her hair and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. What is she doing? People don't worship like this. We stand up, we clap, we keep to ourselves. We definitely don't do this. This can be misconstrued. This can be misunderstood, especially the kind of person that's doing this. And you know what the disciples did? They got ticked off because it wasn't their feet probably. Typical men, right? They get ticked off about it. And Judas himself says, hmm, that could have been used to feed the poor. Now here comes religion, right? We have could have done better things with that offering, with that worship. We could have helped other people out in the community. This was the last step of Judas' The last mention of him and the next mention of him is he denied Jesus. He betrayed him. When he just could not, could not deal with this extravagant worship. And even Simon, who we don't really know why he had Jesus at his house, the chances are good that he was wanting to test him at something, as the Pharisees were continually doing. He says, If Jesus were a holy man, if this were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is that's doing what she's doing. And then Jesus says something to Simon. He says, Simon, I got a question for you. He says, Okay, say on. He says, There were two men that had a debt. One owed a man $50, and the other owed that man $500. And he forgave both of their debts. Now, let me ask you a question. Which one of those guys will love him more? the one who was forgiven $50 or the one who was forgiven $500? And Simon said, well, I suppose the guy who was forgiven the greater debt. He says, you've well spoken, Simon. He says, see this woman right here? She has not ceased to kiss my feet and to wipe my feet with her hair. When I came into your house, you offered me nothing. You didn't offer me water. You didn't offer me oil. You didn't offer me, but she has not stopped Now, listen what he says, for she loved much. Wait a second. That story's a little backwards because what he said seems to be a little backwards to the story because he said that they loved much because they were forgiven much. He said she came in here today because, and she's doing what she does because she loved much. Therefore, and watch what he says. Therefore, he says, Woman, your sins are forgiven you. That's backwards to the story, though, because they love much after they've been forgiven. The debtors, right? But she loved much, and Jesus gave forgiveness. But he had already kind of done that because he had a reputation that he lets the sinner go free, that he forgives sins, and that he heals people who are hurting and this reputation got around to her and she got her heart so full of love because somewhere inside she had a heart full of faith that would say I can receive forgiveness if I can just get to Jesus so by faith she's pouring out this extravagant love believing that there's forgiveness for her sins and Jesus says woman your sins are forgiven you go in peace People were to ask, Pastor Eric, what's the vision of One Cause Church? I've thought about that. I think about it a lot because I get asked that a lot. That seems to be what other pastors ask other pastors. What's the vision of One Cause Church? I'm going to have to say it is simply Jesus. (laughs) Obsessively, dangerously, and undeniably Jesus. That's our vision. Thank you for your enthusiasm yeah. out there tonight. Amen. Thank you for your excitement. I feel you're yeah. with me. I know you're with me. Yeah. Oh, well, Pastor Eric, what kind of people go? Like, what can I expect out of the kind of people that go to One Cause Church? Well, they, they're the kind of people that search out every opportunity to, to show Jesus. They worship him with Shouts. If you come to One Church, you'll see our people dancing and clapping and singing and crying and laughing and just experiencing Jesus in every way. Yeah. Yeah. And the more they know about him, the more they act like him. Uh, amen. Here in our church, we keep this, the sin consciousness. We check it at the door. Yeah. We walk in. With a heart sprinkled, with a con- our consciences sprinkled, and free from guilt and shame and condemnation, because they've all had a blood transfusion from Jesus Himself. Yeah. Right. The people at One Cause; their words make demons scream. Yeah. Yeah. They speak in tongues. Yeah. They're fearless. Do you hear that, McKinney? Can you hear them, Collin County? They're coming. And they're infiltrating the business world with the favor and blessing of God on their life. Husbands and wives that are here are continually head over heels in love with each other because they're full of the love of God. And their children, they're marching the school halls like a mighty, angry adolescent army. Yes. Who were once frightened and forgotten now have fire in their eyes. When they walk, the trees applaud, mountains quake at these children of another dimension. Their prayers summon help from heaven and invoke this ancient dream in Eden where people can walk with God. Whatever it takes, the people of One Cause Church give. They serve. They break all the rules of the status quo. They willingly lay down their personal rights and overcome their weaknesses and wrongs. Peer pressure is powerless to shake their resolve. They are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Praise God. They pray as if it all depends on God and they live as if it all depends on them. Am I talking to the right people tonight? Yes. Amen. I reckon that's as simple as a description as I can give about you. Why don't we stand? Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to OneCauseChurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OneCause Church. If you would like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.